Welcome back, folks. Glad to have you with us on the Pete Callender Show. I am having an absolute ball sitting in for him. Chad Adams, formerly the big talker down in Wilmington and the John Locke Foundation and selected office for a while. Love to write, love to have a good time and communicate with fine folks. Michael, I hope you stayed on hold, man, because you called in. I couldn't get to you in the last segment, but welcome to the show. How the heck are you today? Oh, thank you very much. What I wanted to let you know was, you know, back during the election, Twitter and Facebook took down all my political uh, statements that I made. I contacted Lindsey Graham office. He was in Washington, made them aware that Facebook and Twitter was taking down all political comments. And at that time, uh, he sent me a message back that he knew it, but he wanted people to keep calling in and letting him know it. This was Lindsey Graham saying this. All right, getting to my next point is the CDC wields great power. They are trying to take pain medication away from people that are hurt, missing arms, missing legs, our soldiers coming from overseas. They don't want them to have pain medication. And Gallagher Bassett and My Matrix, along with AIG Insurance Company, is helping them do this. Uh, we don't need our old people that have worked all their lives and used up their bodies and now need medication to survive on and to function on, we don't need their medication taken away from them. So, so Mike, can you help me a little bit understand something you mentioned? Now, the Lindsey Graham stuff and about a lot of elected officials saying, hey, let us know what the heck's going on with Twitter and Facebook. That That's actually working. More and more people are coming out and saying, hey, this happened to me, too. Hey, this happened to me, too. Some of mine got flagged. So I, I know what that feels like. Now, but on to the pain medication part. I'm trying to understand what you said. The CDC is limiting the pain medication. I don't understand what the CDC, because they're disease, they're not the FDA. I would think the FDA could do it. But what is it you're, you're saying the CDC is doing with respect to pain meds? The CDC is putting out guidelines, and uh, they're telling doctors that they're rules, but they're guidelines. The DEA is helping the CDC go in and shut doctors down that are doing legitimate work and helping people like me, it helps me work every day, but they're still taking, trying to take my medication away from me. And that's, that's okay. not, they're not taking anybody's uh, uh, blood pressure medicine away from them or their kidney medicine right. away from them and letting them die. So you're saying, what the, so they're putting out, and this is not, you're not the first person, that the, uh, the governor put out a lot of guidelines that a lot of local agencies during the pandemic used as rules. They called it the toolbox, and they took them as rules and threatened school systems. Heck, I, I'm uh, staff, I'm on a charter board. They threatened our staff and us with arrest and being thrown in jail if we didn't do what the local health department told us to. So I, I completely get that guidelines get misrepresented. And also, so this has to do with with pain relief and the and a lot of these pain clinics that were set up all over the country that were dealing with 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 actual promoting drugs and not helping with pain. And unfortunately, now the backwash is it's coming and actually hurting people that are in pain. Well, see, um, we are under not meaning to interrupt you, but we are under more scrutiny than a federal parolee is. We have to go to the doctor once a month. We have to have pill counts. We have urine tests. And everything else done, we can't go on a planned vacation because the CDC has given grocery uh, drug stores the right to tell us, no, you're not going to get them early. They are, you're going to get them once every 29 days, and we don't care if you can't go on vacation or what you can do. You know, we're going to control you. Right. 
And, and, and that's because of, unfortunately, the overuse of fentanyl, morphine, oxy, Vicodin, and Sir, these kind of it, things. The, the, the heroin and the fentanyl right now is what's killing everybody. Doctors it is. Have, it is. Doctors have cut down pain prescriptions by about 70%, and we still have a death rate going out the roof from drugs. And they're, what they're doing, they're adding fentanyl, they're adding heroin together with the opioid overdoses, which there are very few opioid overdoses by patients that are legally given medication. Right. That's a bunch of bull that you're being fed. No, no, no. I'm saying the stuff coming across the border is what's killing yeah, people. It's not the, you're saying it's that, not the stuff coming we, from doctors. That's what we need to be working on. We need to be working on the border. We need to be stopping this illegal drugs coming across here, not persecuting people like me that have worked and provided a service all their life. I'm 70 right. years old, and I'm still providing a service. I'm out here driving trucks for people. Wow. I used to work in textiles. I used to build power lines also. Wow. For 20 so, and, years and you're saying they're, they're making the it South Carolina. increasingly it's becoming difficult for you to treat your condition that, that, that gives you a quality of life. Because with that treatment, you have a normal quality of life, and they're making it more difficult for you to function. Well, you know, people that have a quality of life and something's working for them and helping right. them function on a daily basis right. should not be restricted from them. I, I understand point. that, you, you know, a certain point. amount is a certain amount, but when you start telling people, no, you got to die in pain instead of us giving you something for it, that's ridiculous. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't, couldn't I mean, my, my father uh, had cancer and uh, died about a year and a half ago. And you know what? Some of the stuff, it, it look, he had to function. And um, it, it made a difference. Those were things that extended life and extended quality of life. So I can understand. And and I uh, had a wife that suffered an aneurysm and the pain medications at the end. That, that, well, where uh, I'm at, I'm breaking up right now. I'm losing you, I think. I appreciate okay. you letting me be on your show. And I hope people think about what I told them. Join Pain Matters and don't punish my pain groups. We're a nationwide group. And we try to advocate for people that really need medication. You got it, Mike, and doctors are on top of that, too. Thank you for sharing that. I wasn't aware of what the CDC was doing there. Thank you for calling, okay? Yeah, I, I belong to several groups. There's a lot of groups out there. If you just look, you'll find them. And to Mike's point, I mean, we were talking about this heading to the top of the hour about the way, and, and some people are finally questioning the vast overreach. He said it best. CDC wields great, in fact, I wrote it down, wields great power. And they do. Many of these agencies have become so large and so much larger than we ever dreamed they could have been, whether it's the FDA, the CDC, the FBI, and they've lost any kind of direct connection to you, the people, we, the people, they've lost a connection to elected oversight. They believe that the folks in DC are just there going through the motions. They don't really feel a sense of respect and, and, and kind of limitations on their power. They don't sense that, don't feel that. And and that's a problem. They, they shouldn't be involved in the pain management side of things at all. That should be something that, that's uh, completely medical. And to that point, so when we went to the top of the hour, I was talking about the, the folks from the Brownstone Institute um, that were looking at things and, and being restricted. And we're looking at what's happening with the CDC. And, and, and the end of this last one, you know, without, you know, if the CDC cannot self-correct, perhaps it's time to turn to the private sector to do some critical tasks. 
like using state-of-the-art information technology to monitor the health of, of a population to detect new communicable diseases as they appear in real time. A private sector alternative could make interventions intended to preserve the public's health more timely and effectively, resulting in more Americans surviving future pandemics. That's, uh, that's Carl Schramm that wrote that. And he's a professor at Syracuse, Syracuse University. Um, and so th- there's kind of a pylon right now with respect to the CDC, and it's deserved. I mean, that's the problem. When you came across with this kind of arrogance, and I didn't, you know, and, and to Mike's point, the kind of overreach that we're seeing in day-to-day lives, they need to be corrected. So um, so I don't know if Jackie can be on or not. So Bernie, I don't know. Is Jackie wanting to get on the air? And if so, uh, okay, Jackie, come on. How are you doing today? Appreciate you the doing, call. Man? I'm fantastic. Hey, hope you're having a good day, man. Hey, I just I was listening to your segment a few minutes ago, and I was hearing you talk about government overreach and denying freedoms. But you know, if you were to talk to my great grandfather and my father, and my father, my all my grandfathers and my father, they'll tell you that this country has always denied freedoms. We've always limited freedoms. My father, Rock Hill, South Carolina, couldn't legally vote until he was 34 years old. My grandfather was in his 60s. And then my uncles, who went to war for this country and, and, uh, and fought and served in, in the armed services in Europe and Japan, I mean, in Asia, they come back and they couldn't go to a Woolworths and sit down and have a cup of coffee. Well, so, tell me a little bit more you know, about the I want to get to the voting. Mask, I mean, they'd say, what's the big deal? Are you, you know, talking about the uh, are you talking about Jim Crow laws uh, so with, on the voting? You can't talk about just talk about what's going on now. You have to talk about the history of this country. To put everything in context, this has always been going on. It's nothing new. Mike, the the difference is the in, inequities that you talk about had to be addressed, and they were addressed. And in fact, so I'm going back. Are you saying your 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 parents and grandparents affected by Jim Crow laws because yes, the right well, to vote was, was call, provided call, I earlier? Like, I don't than, even like the word Jim Crow because I have no idea who Jim Crow is. I just okay. know my, my, my uncle went to war for this country, comes back, he couldn't go have a, have a meal at Woolworths. My father couldn't legally vote until it was I have my I have my do, my father's registration card, his first registration card, have it laminated. He couldn't vote until September nineteen uh uh nineteen sixty seven. Which even state though was he was born in uh, nineteen thirty three. Right. And then those were wrong. And those were inequities in which freedoms were that were supposedly granted. That were granted in the 18th. In fact, black men had the right to vote before women in this country had the right to vote. And yet there were there were parishes and districts and states that were really standing in the way of that, that ultimately uh, freedom did prevail in those instances. And so you think my grandfather would get upset about having to wear a mask, or would he still be? I, th- I think he would. I think. That? I think if, if anyone, <laughs> you know, that's not, it's just not a big deal. I think you guys hey, have Mike? a tendency not to put 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 everything in context, and you have Wait. to look at the the past to figure out where we are today and how we got here. Mike, you have to remember I'm the not, past I'm and you not, have to acknowledge the past. Mike, Mike, let me speak for a minute, okay? I'm not disagreeing with you. Oh, Jackie, I'm sorry. I keep calling you Mike. And I, Mike was a previous okay. <laughs> Jackie, I apologize. I'm in the land of far, far away here. That's so, okay. Jackie, I apologize. I'm, for not, I'm so, not going to call you Brett or anybody like that. That's okay. You could. You could call me anything. I'd, I'd be I'd be pleased. I'm, I'm glad Pete. you I'm called I'm not going to call you Pete. <laughs> you could. He's a good guy. So, Jackie, with respect to these these historical issues that happen, the, the point is we continue to address them. Uh, your your I think your your parents and grandparents would be particularly concerned with government telling them what to do. It wasn't like they had a high trust of government to begin with. And I would say many people it's 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 a natural thing to be suspicious of our government, and we should be. 
and the masking, if the masking, if you look at the box and you see that it doesn't work, and we know now that it doesn't work that well, we know now looking back that it didn't prevent viruses from being spread, then we then we we wonder why did you push, not you, but why did they push policies that weren't effective and were restricting freedoms that weren't necessary? And we should question that. Would I you, agree would you that, agree with but that? I think, but I think in the scheme of things, in the scheme of things, and in the context of what's happened in the past, the mass thing is not a big deal to most people. I think big for, a lo- for some still, people, wait, Jackie. about it, but it's not a big deal to a lot of us. That's, that's, that's small potatoes. It, it is, but what happened to our kids and losing their ability to learn how to speak and losing those things because of mass, they're, they're, they're both sides of this. And I, Jackie, I appreciate you calling in, okay? Oh, you're welcome. Thanks man. for being Thanks for being a part of the show. We appreciate all perspectives. Chad Adams sitting in for Pete Callender. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. You want to get get on the conversation, 704-570-1110, 704-570-1110. Jackie, appreciate the phone call. And to Jackie's point, I love context. It, it, It is it is important in understanding anything. He's, he, he said something that was interesting. He said, you guys, and I'm sure he's referring to conservatives or conservative talk show hosts, you guys don't provide context. And, and it is important to provide context. And, and my point is that we should be suspect. The, the entirety of this country was not founded on what the government could do to you. It's founded on what the government doesn't have the right to do to you. And, and these things didn't apply to all citizens equally when it was done, and, and a horrible war ensued 100 years later to try to correct that problem. And then we had several other instances where women wanted the right to vote. We overcame great obstacles in many instances, two world wars, the civil rights movement, to get these freedoms. Those freedoms came at great a great cost to many folks. And so I would think that anybody who has existed in a place where freedoms were denied that were guaranteed, in his instance, his relatives and the World War situation, I'm, that's an allusion to Greensboro, I'm sure, these things were hard-fought freedoms. We should not willy-nilly give them up. Just be, And a mask is more than an inconvenience. It's way, it is a statement of political power. And I don't mind. By the way, if you want to wear a mask, you should have the right to do so. If you want to wear a mask, go wear a mask. Wear two or three of them. Be a Fauciite. That's fine. You have the right to do it. But we need to also be very cognizant of the damage that was done with these policies that were forced on people, the damage it's done to children, the damage it's done to many of us, leading us to believe something that fundamentally wasn't true. That's where this is all about. So context, absolutely, Jackie, 100% correct. Context is important and looking at the past, looking at the present, and looking toward the future and contextualizing this so that we don't make the mistakes of the past. We don't repeat. We should not have another pandemic that, that is treated the same way this one was. The lockdowns weren't working, didn't work, and we're still paying a price. Restaurants will never return to the way they were. Many of the ways that we interact will never return to the way they were. But the good news is we're learning from it. We're evolving from it. We even learned about the power of some of these agencies and people in government. And that is a valuable lesson indeed. So it wasn't just what we learned from the the pandemic and the response to it, but what we learned about those who wielded power through it and the need to reject that power and stand up to it more in the future. And unfortunately, that's not going to be a comfortable, this is not going to be a comfortable process to go through because there's still many of those that think the CDC did nothing wrong. There are many people that think Fauci did nothing wrong. There are many people that think government acted completely appropriately through this entire thing, but it suppressed. It suppressed 
ideas. It suppressed salient thought. It suppressed debate at a time where we really needed to be having those things. So to the Brownstone Institute's point, you know, he was writing about how he was throttled through this. He didn't notice it at first, but then he realized how many people were affected by it. It, it, when, he, when he put out a piece about Woodstock in the 68-69 flu season, a fact checker originally, and this is the uh, the head of Brownstone, a fact checker rated it as true and Facebook algorithms really screwed it up. Facebook pushed it out. In other words, the piece he wrote about what happened at Woodstock, we were in the middle of a, a pandemic then and we had the flu and, they, and he posted it. And then all of a sudden it was throttled. Or perhaps there was one employee who then made it so. He doesn't know. In the meantime, the, the one article generated millions of views and shares. It was his first experience with the astounding power of these types of venues to shape the public mind. People innocently use all of this without the slightest understanding that there is a reason why they're seeing what they're seeing. Every word or picture you see on your apps is there for a reason, a choice of this or that. And the driving force there is what powerful people want you to see and not see. We know now that the stream of information is carefully curated by algorithms and human intervention, not to fit with your interest, as they once claimed, but to fit with regime interest. In other words, what people used to say about the Chinese Communist Party role in the management of TikTok applies fully in the U.S. today with all the main tech companies. And please keep in mind, we only know this because of the Twitter file dump. We only know it because of that. All of this is happening at Google, Meta, LinkedIn. The latter removes post by Brownstone, often, which is what I'm reading from. This has been going on for years, but COVID made it worse. COVID made it worse. Good afternoon. Appreciate the phone calls. 704-570-1110. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Arguably the best uh, talk station in the state. You could Opinions are welcomed. I know that Pete and Brett and all the rest of the guys, Vince Coakley, everyone welcomes a diversity of opinions on this program and all of the programs here at WBT. And we thank you for that. We want you to be a part of that. <sighs> Even, whew, our breaths ran up and down some steps just then. But as we head toward the new year, this is that, that strange week where it's kind of work, but not work. And it's everyone's kind of in a different frame of mind through this week. It's just one of the oddest, it is the oddest week of the year. But I do want to get back to... So the Brownstone Institute, which has been largely critical of the way the U.S. government handled a lot of things through this, they were throttled. Jeffrey Tucker is the president of that organization, and and he's written a column about this, and he was talking about the, the damage that these organizations have done to a lot of folks. And it has. When, when you've built up, if WPT, you know, any organization builds up an audience, that audience relies on them for information and trust, and someone just disconnects that just arbitrarily because they don't like what's being said and that that's damaging it would be damaging to all the people at wbt or any other place if it's just arbitrarily ended um that they're still there oh you're allowed to be but no one's allowed to see you or hear you if you've curated tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people that in your in your one of the, that's what you do for a living if is communicate information to folks and all of a sudden you're not allowed to do that that's a damaging thing and it was done on purpose by po- folks in power, by folks in government working, you know, hand in glove with big tech. And it, it sound like it needs to be discussed. It needs, and if but for Elon Musk turning those files loose, we wouldn't know about them. But now we know it wasn't just Twitter; it was all the other files, all the other groups. 
And it's been going on for a while, but COVID intense it all. Back to the column. Even from the beginning, something was very off. For example, on March 19th, the day after the Fauci-Burks-Trump press conference and the day before the CISA seized control of all labor markets, an obscure digital education entrepreneur named Thomas Pueyo. And you need to know this. This is good information. Regardless of how you feel, whether you love the lockdowns or hated them, this is really good information because you need to hear where this came from. And we now know. We have the benefit of history to look back and say, hey, where did this lockdown stuff come from? And what happened to all the people that were pushing back on it? Well, now you're going to hear. So a guy named Thomas Pueyo came out with an implausibly documented and comprehensively argued piece called The Hammer and the Dance. It was an elaborate argument for locking down to flatten the curve, complete with fancy graphs and pseudoscientific blather of every sort. The author was essentially unknown, but within 24 hours, the piece was garnering many millions of shares and being spread everywhere by all the big tech platforms all over the world, as if it were some kind of canonical treatise. I doubt seriously that he wrote it. No way in one day. It had to be planned for weeks, but rather that, he volunteered his name to be attached to it. It became the most important framing of the lockdown that appeared that month. Watching that one preposterous article take over so aggressively, even his dissidents' writing slipped into nothingness, including his own, was quite a, a bit of digital magic to see. But we know now it wasn't magic. It was a policy. It was an intention. It was a propaganda ploy. Again, we must understand that this is still going on right now, with the only real exception among the large players being Twitter. We know now that we are we were not all going crazy. It was all deliberate. Matt Taibbi puts it well. Matt Taibbi is the guy who's uh, part of Barry Weiss. Matt Taibbi, these are the people that are writing up the Twitter files. They're going through all these documents that have been exposed now about the way the government operated with these organizations. He wrote, sometime in the last decade, many people, I was one, began to feel robbed of their sense of normalcy by something we couldn't define. Increasingly glued to our phones, we saw that the version of the world that was spat out at us was that seemed distorted. The public's reactions to various news events seemed off kilter, being either way too intense, not intense enough, or simply unbelievable. You would read that seemingly everyone in the world was in agreement that a certain thing was true, except it seemed ridiculous to you, which put you in an awkward place with friends, families, and others. Should you say something? Are you the crazy one? I can't have been the only person to have struggled psychologically during this time. That is why these Twitter files have been such a balm. This is the reality they stole from us. It's repulsive. It's horrifying. It's dystopian. It's a gruesome history of a world run by anti-people. But I'll take it any day over the vile and insulting facsimile of truth they've been selling. Personally, once I saw that these lurid files could be used as a roadmap back to something like reality, I wasn't sure until this week. I relaxed for the first time in seven or eight years. Back to Tucker's column. So far, thanks to the great work of David Zweig, that's another person who's been involved in these Twitter files, who has somehow managed to elude the censors all along. He was in attendance at the original Great Barrington Declaration event, God bless him. We have a better accounting of what happened. Names we all recognize as friends are listed, including Martin Koldoff and Andrew Bostom. But there are thousands more. There is no question in my mind that my accounts were targeted. That's how much more than free speech and the operation of media channels without government intervention. So ask yourself. I think we know the answer. As a final note, I can assure you this is only the beginning. The full story ropes in the whole of the administrative state, FTX, huge nonprofit organizations, and many back-channel power, money, and truly evil collaboration. We may never get the full story, but we have to ask the questions. Appreciate you indulging us in that one, but Jeffrey Tucker wrote that piece. And right now, we do have another caller. Gary, how you doing, man? Come on in and uh, say hello. 
Good afternoon. Thank you for your time. Um, I'm a regular listener, but you're doing a great job, and thank you. And so what I want to talk to you about was a recent poll on Fox News during the midterms that showed that 75% of the general population still believed that the government should be responsible for their health care. And I'm just blown away by that. Maybe I shouldn't be, but especially after the COVID response and how they messed that up. How do you have <laughs> trust in that? I don't know. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a strange thing because we... We, if you, uh, I'm going to say something that's going to offend a couple of folks. If you're a, a frequent visitor to Walmart and you walk around in that store, because it's it's a great collection of of Americans uh, and others, uh, you get to see how unhealthy we generally are. You see it pretty quickly, and it's interesting that we want to surrender. We don't want to assume control for our own health care. We want to act like there's some group out there that is responsible for us, even if we make really bad decisions and i think you're right i think after uh, go ahead they want to interrupt you so, Gary. i would say as a personal trainer and a believer in exercise all my life that that is a missing component that no one uses today and it could be implemented in our school system and it would affect our children in their health their mental health and it has actually shown to improve memorization of material after you get their heart rate up. Uh, and the book is called Spark. That's the best book anyone can read about what they can do for themselves with exercise for mental health and education. Well, Dr. It, 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 is his name, R-A-T-E-Y. Okay. okay. And, that, and the name of the book is Spark? Spark. Okay. So, you know, and on that vein, though, don't you think we've we've surrendered a lot of things to government? We think they're responsible. We've we've come to believe that Social Security is somehow a retirement plan, and it's not, never was meant to be. We've come to think of government as, as all sort of the end all for all sorts of things in our fiscal life, and it never was designed to be that way. And, and with respect to healthcare, whether it's a Medicaid for those who, who need more assistance, we want to continue to expand this massive government program to include more and more people. Well, on Medicare, we have so many different choices out there. It's very confusing for the folks that it's intended to help. And and so how do you get, I mean, what would you say to get out of these things? How do you ever, because if you ever touch them as a political entity, an individual that wants to make them better or reduce them in some way, you're going to be, you're going to be drawn and quartered publicly. Uh, well, I think it goes back to James Madison, our, our founders. I think this is James Madison. Anyway, no matter who it was, the statement was that our Constitution was never designed to rule over an ungodly, I might be getting this wrong just a little bit, but someone who was held to a higher accountability than the government. That there had to be a higher calling to the average individual, and if it wasn't there, that we would break through our Constitution like a whale through a fishing net. And, and it's missing because we've lost the element of God in our life, and uh, that element puts responsibility on you, the individual, not the government. And I think so that's... That that's and Get the understanding that responsibility precedes rights. And I think that can be done with using exercise. So exercise is a phenomenal sweat equity that provides a unique observation of what can be done with self-governance and responsibility. Gary, I think, you know, uh, 
diseases okay. and, and genetic, well, diseases and genetics aside, you're absolutely right. The vast majority of folks could stand to move more and eat less. It's not brain, it's not rocket science, it's not brain, you know, it's not brain science. It's just straight up the way we were designed to be. We weren't designed to just sit around and play video games and watch TV and feed ourselves endless array of carbs and then go to the doctor and the government and say, you guys need to fix me and it's your, it's your responsibility. So, uh, yeah, and, and you're right. The founding fathers absolutely believed, hey, we're going to give you these freedoms. With all those freedoms comes great responsibility, and you're responsible for your pursuit of happiness and your health. Uh, you're responsible for that in large measure. But, uh, Gary, uh, yeah, I appreciate I, the call, man. I'll end on that. It's, it, it is a dialogue to be had in the general public that is not being had, and um, you, have to under, under, you have to question why Knowing that our government knows these scientific facts about what it does for education, and they don't implement it. Uh, because it would take away power from special interests. We're going to kick it out now. Gary, thank you for the call. i got to take a break here. Man, I'm having so much fun. It is really a blast to be here. It's a beautiful day, a few degrees warmer than it was yesterday, and it'll be a few degrees warmer, and I think by the weekend, it's actually tolerable for a lot of folks. Might even have to get outside more. I was out on a, a course this morning, and it was it was, there was frost on the ground. <laughs> it was rather cold out there, but I'm glad you're with us. Uh, this is Chad Adams sitting in for the Vacationing Pete Calendar. He'll be back bright and early sometime next week, and we appreciate you still tuning in. And being a part of the WBT listening audience, the best audience in the state of North Carolina, the best staff, it's just an overall amazing thing. You want to get in on the conversation, give us a call at 704-570-1110. Easy to remember, 570-1110. And since every one of you has a computer that is called a cellular phone that's attached to you at the hip and, and doesn't leave your side, you all have the ability to call with that 570-1110 and be part of the broadcast. We'll move you right to the front of the line. And I had a number of callers today and appreciate each and every one of them. Now, whew, getting on through. I, I had mentioned earlier, I'd kind of mentioned how restaurants had changed. And I don't know how many of you have noticed. I mean, going out to restaurants is a big deal in American society. And whether it's fast food or something less fast and nicer, whatever it is, it's changed. It's changed a lot. You know that. You can look at the drive throughs You can look at meal deliveries. And you can see, you know, it's not just Domino's anymore out there. It's, it's, it's there. Even McDonald's is delivering. But let's go through this a little bit. I don't know that we'll get through all of it because it's it's a lengthy piece. But it's talking about... The, the where people eat, how they what's what's happened in restaurants. And this is from the Washington Post. Restaurants are still seeing 16% fewer people dining on premises compared to before the pandemic. So you go to a restaurant, there's 16% fewer folks there. Off-premises dining, however, has picked up in the exact amount. So we're still eating out. We're just eating out different ways. So if you break it down, delivery is up more than 5%, while carry-out is down Three percent. The big winner, drive-through, up thirteen percent, and all you've seen that drive-through at this moment. Thirty-nine percent of all restaurant traffic is bumper to bumper in a drive-through lane," said Hudson Real, an economist for the National Restaurant Association. Operationally, many restaurants function differently than they did three years ago, with a greater reliance on technology integration and on the off-premises market. What does it mean? The restaurant, the industry has now been bifurcated between two types. Ones that cater to the hangry, must-eat-now crowd and those who want to be nurtured and entertained. 
They want value. They want convenience, but they also crave an experience. Quick serve restaurants are betting a lot of money that those changes are permanent. He looks at Taco Bell. Now, in case you hadn't heard of this, Taco Bell and other restaurants are doing some new concepts. Taco Bell has one called Defy. It started in Minneapolis in June. It has four drive through lanes and has a kitchen on the second floor and orders with lanes devoted solely to delivery drivers or orders placed via the Taco Bell mobile app. They deliver down through space-age tubes, kind of like a bank. To customers' cars in about two minutes, there is no dining room at that Taco Bell. So the delivery drivers pick up their to-go orders, and you drive through and pick up your to-go orders. It's a bizarre, It looks like a bank, like a bank on a second floor dropping food down to you. McDonald's doing the same thing, going into a prototype restaurant in Fort Worth for to-go and delivery orders. Last year, the fast food chain added its own delivery service, and while delivery is twice the price of buying for the most part, customers keep on wanting to do it. It's a quest- So think about that. When you watch a show like My 300-pound or 500 or 600-pound life, uh, the ability to order more food at home is growing, not diminishing. It's a quest for speed and efficiency, something virtual-only restaurants and kitchen promised at the beginning of the pandemic and have been a mixed bag at delivering. Many so-called ghost kitchens learned the hard way that the visibility and street cred associated with brick and mortar is invaluable. The dining business is going to be radically smaller than it was with much more focus on takeout, a huge shift in the basis of competition for tech and convenience. So how people order is also changed. Accelerated by the pandemic, restaurants' digital strategies become key. They saw an 18% increase in eateries offering direct online ordering, according to Bento Box, a restaurant website company. This comes even as third-party delivery companies hold their own. Grubhub sales remain flat for the first half of the year, while DoorDash had better-than-expected sales. The digital dining pivot has also prioritized delivery app menus and mobile-based app loyalty programs. McDonald's has 25 million members as of September 30th, had been active in the past 90 days. And if you, well, McDonald's is always pimping out with, with points. You get points and you get free food, X, X, X. Anyway, I was talking to a client while I was uh, trying to order food on his phone and he was getting frustrated. Why don't you just call him? And he said, I shouldn't have to talk to a person. Customers have come to expect digital ordering and don't want to speak to people. But a basic on-demand food delivery app for a restaurant costs somewhere between thirty and fifty thousand. So if you're a big guy, that thirty to fifty thousand is not so bad. But for you know smaller restaurants, it's going to be very, very prohibitive and it may shut many of them down. We're going to see a hollowing out in the restaurant world, said Lori Thomas, owner of two restaurants in San Francisco and executive director of the Golden Gate Restaurant Association. We will end up with a super expensive, bespoke opportunities that you're paying through the nose for. Then you're going to have the fast, casual restaurant. The middle restaurants will be fewer. It won't be an economically viable part of the industry moving forward. Independent restaurants are going to suffer the most, but some restaurant groups that may have difficulty with culture change are in the category of sit-down family dining. You might find uh, fewer and fewer of those. So what people are ordering is also changing. The last big revolution in the restaurant industry was during the Great Recession between 09 and 07. Food trucks proliferated. Fine dining chefs threw in their crisp white coats and started crafting elevated casual fare. Fast casual thrived while supply outstripped demand. Some of the culinary changes often described as the casualization Wrought by difficult times persists today. Whether or not the economy heads into recession over the next year, diners are skittish and extra price conscious. Restaurant transactions dropped 7% in the third quarter of this year, and it could get worse. We've been steadily revising forecasts downward every time we've looked at the industry, uh, said Rabinock Research. 
because restaurants have increased their prices. The top line number looks pretty good, but underlying that is a softness developing in the fall. Inflation coupled with a high level of uncertainty. We got to go. Take a break. Top of the hour. Hour number two, three, three, getting ready to be underway. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.